Awesome. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. All right. Man, I know it's after Thanksgiving, but I'm really grateful for all of you and thankful for faithfulness to God and being here at church on Sunday, gathered together, groups of 25. We're here. It's awesome, right? And uh, how many of you, you know, need to just really let, let the Lord restore your soul from the duck loss to the beavers? You know, it's 2020, so upside down, downside up, right? That's how it goes this year. So why would we be surprised that little brother gets a win? And we'll give him one every few years. I'm just having fun. Good to be with everybody today. We're going to jump right in. We're doing this uh, three times today, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be we're going to be uh, concentrated orange juice, right? Like not that watered down stuff. We're going to pack in a lot of Holy Spirit, a lot of worship, a lot of word, a lot of truth, a lot of laughs in Jesus' name, right? Into uh, a shorter service today. But man, so good to be with you guys today. We're continuing in our series called "Brutally Honest," looking at the prayers of the Psalms. And uh, our, our uh, projected president-elect, I don't know if you heard, he had a speech this um, week where he called them the palms yeah. and the palmist. And I had to mention that today, not because I'm being critical, but it's just funny. And we're, it's psalms, right? And we, so we're going to go with that. But the, uh, whatever you want to call them, there's some really good stuff inside. And I'm glad that that was being read and shared publicly. And we're excited to jump in today. We've been talking about how it's easy to get brutally honest with other people. It's easy to sometimes unburden ourselves on others. And how many of you would say, I'm a little guilty of that this year, maybe complaining, maybe on social media, uh, maybe to my spouse, wherever, but burdening other people with our problems. And really what we're supposed to do, Peter tells us, is give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And so we want to get brutally honest with God. That's the, the, the appropriate response to bring our cares, our worries, our concerns, our complaints to God in prayer and we see that working out in the Psalms in various ways and various uh, means of different life stories and things that are going on. And today, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 51, which is a prayer of repentance. Now, I've been planning on preaching on Psalm 51 really since the beginning of this series. It's an incredible psalm of repentance, an incredible prayer where David has gone through some, some circumstances where he's committed some grotesque sins, which we're going to uh, look at here. Aren't you glad you're not in the Bible and your sins aren't displayed for all to see? I am. I'm glad I come after this period of time, right? I get to read it and go, ha, 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 what a sinner, uh, versus having all my sins uh, written up in print. I guess there's still an opportunity for that to happen in the newspaper or whatever, but we'll hopefully just avoid all that, right? All of us. We'll just keep it, keep it between the lines. But uh, Psalm 51, I've been planning on speaking on this passage since the beginning, but I, I realized today, wow, how appropriate that after we've all engaged in the sin of gluttony, that we could now talk about repentance, right? How many of you would just be transparent, confess your sins one to another and say, I may have had one or two more plates than I maybe should have this week. You know, I was testing the limits. I'm a, I'm a man of science, and I was testing the limits of how many cinnamon crescent rolls. You know, my mom makes these little cinnamon crescent rolls. They roll out the, the, the dough. Well, she had like a whole crew making them this year, huh? There was a bunch of, they have a bunch of, guys that, that are, they have like a dorm kind of house or a guy's house that in their uh, converted garage. So there was about three or four college students and they, she had them working like Santa's elves, rolling out the dough, buttering it down, putting cinnamon and sugar. Come on, somebody in Jesus name. Uh, and then they roll them up in these little crescent rolls. And so they're basically bite-sized sin, right? <laughs> you can eat. And I was like, I wonder how many of a human body can hold. And I can tell you, I have not found the depth. Of, of how many you can hold. But I think I was definitely north of 10 of those bad boys on Thanksgiving, in addition to 
you know, ice cream cake and, or pie, whatever that was. It was like a Heath caramel, salted caramel Oreo crust. Then we had a peanut butter uh, chocolate crust one. And then we had apple pie, pecan pie. You know, you know what it's like. You know what it's like. So anyways, we're here to repent today. But Psalm 51 is this prayer of repentance. And to give you some context about where David's at in his life, uh, it says in the book of Psalm, for the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now let's unpack this situation. So this is written down like in the hymn book for the people, you know. This is, remember when the king committed adultery and did all this bad stuff? This is the song he wrote about it, right? What a song to sing in church, right? But this is the context for this. David it says in the scripture at the time the kings go to war, he remained in Jerusalem. He was not really in the right spot at the right time. He, he watches this woman Bathsheba bathing and he calls for her to come. Now they call it an adultery, but I would actually put out to us that this is actually a rape because when the king uh, demands that this woman comes and he takes advantage of her and all that, anyways, ends up having this affair, ends up, uh, Bathsheba ends up getting pregnant. Her husband Uriah has been a loyal uh, fighter, a loyal, a loyal soldier for David. David actually has him come back from the battle and ends up having him in this grotesque conspiracy actually murder. Tries to get him to go home so he can cover up this pregnancy. Like, this is all bad stuff. How many of you know this is, the, this is MA? If you're on Netflix, this is mature audiences. That's why they don't make the Bible a TV show, because it's bad, right? You're like, I'm offended by that. Well, think about this, right? This is major league sin. You've got adultery. You've got abuse of power. You've got, uh, all, you know, murder. Murder, right? This is, this is serious stuff. This is major league sin, trying to cover it up, all this stuff. And David doesn't say, God, I'm sorry, after it happens. He actually tries to cover it up, goes on and on and on. And eventually a prophet comes and says, you did a bad thing, sir. And then finally David says, okay, you, you, you got me. And he, and he gives us Psalm 51. This is the, the birth of this psalm comes out of this major league sin, this major league failure, this fall of this man of God, this fall of this king. And he writes these words, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. How many of you in church sang the song, Create in me a clean heart, O God. <laughs> you have to drop that one down. That's your note, John. That's the, the deep, yeah, the manly note. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken 
spirit. You will, re- you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Now David gives this wonderful prayer of repentance. And there's a couple of themes here. We're going to look at a few. But I think I want to point something out in the beginning, the audacity of this prayer. Because think about how it is when you mess up. Have any of you ever sinned before? Anybody in here? I used to. I don't anymore. But I, in my life, in the past, I, I have once or twice. And uh, I'm glad I'm over that now. But anyways, in that past time, uh, I'm kidding. But when we sin... The, the initial reaction is very much like what Adam and Eve do in the garden, which is they run, they hide, they conceal, they cover up. And isn't that what shame does? When we sin, the natural inclination is to run from God, to hide, and, 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 and not even really engage with him for ourselves, much less try to teach other people how to know God. So think about what David is saying here. Lord, if you'll forgive me, I'll go back to, to proclaiming about you. I'll go back to teaching other people, and I'll go back to worshiping you Lord, if you will forgive me as I repent to you, not only am I going to, I'm not going to slink back into just, oh, I guess I'll pray now. No, I'm going to actually go back into mission mode. This is what real repentance is about. How many of you know that, and we're going to talk about this today, but there's a, a level of sorrow that is not godly sorrow, which leaves us in a place of shame and keeps us really uh, neutered as Christians from being who we're called to be and doing what we're called to do. Let me give you an illustration. You know, I have three kids. Uh, Bethany and I together have three kids. I want to make sure that she realizes they're hers too, just in case, you know, when it's time to clean up or whatever, that there's mutual responsibility. Yeah, right. That actually goes more towards me needing to help more. But we have three kids and they do wrong things. Okay. Even this morning we had a, a parental moment. You know, the girls right now are, are, are at each other all, all the time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, it's like Bethany and I are pulling our hair out, you know? I actually had long hair here this week, but I pulled it all out, you know, from, <laughs> from what's been going on. And our kids, they get naughty, and the girls are fighting right now. They're just, ah, and it's driving us nuts. We're like, be nice to each other. How many of you know as a parent, when you're being mean, because they're not being nice, it's a problem, right? And I'm like, girls. And so I, 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 I took them aside today. I'm like, Evie, Penny, this relationship that you have, you're going to want this to be strong for the rest of your life. You're you got to work on it. You know, and I'm talking to them, talking to them. There's, but I had them take a time out, you know, sit down, and, and uh, there's some punishment there. But the goal is to restore them into right relationship and into being my kids. I don't, I don't want them to take punishment or discipline and then disconnect from the family and from who they're called to be. Does this make sense? So the heart of David here that he gives us in this prayer is that when I pray for forgiveness and God grants it, I don't just come slinking back in. I come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. I come boldly to be who God's called me to be. A righteous, the righteous may fall seven times to get back up again. Are you with me? And this is the heart of real repentance. So I want to just give you a couple of thoughts today. For some reason, I wrote down five thoughts in my notes, but I don't have five. I have three. And as a, as a man, you know, I think I have more thoughts than I really do, but I, <laughs> I really just have three, three thoughts for you today. I think that was my, uh, my uh, ambition for the message. And then the reality of once I was in that coma of eating too many crescent rolls, you know, uh, no, I definitely wrote these notes pre-food coma because any message that comes out after you eat on Thanksgiving is just, right, Alan, you know, it's just not good. Three thoughts for you today. Number one, God responds to honest repentance. Honest repentance. 
You know, sometimes when we do the wrong thing, we're sorry, more sorry about getting caught than the action itself. Is this true? It's like, ah, man, dang it, they got me. How many of you, when you, you, you get a, a car, maybe you get to drive somebody's sports car, or you have one, and you get busted because you're speeding down that country road, and the cop pulls you over, and you're like, dang it. But you're not sorry. You're just sorry you got caught, right? You, you were loving going 85, 90 in that you know, convertible, you, and you're going to do it again, right, when he drives off, aren't you? But you're sorry that you got caught. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes that's how it works. You know, when I was a, a toddler, a little kid, and I don't, I don't remember this, but I've been told, and so if my mom is, is not a liar, then I believe what she says. But apparently I would misbehave, which I don't agree, I don't believe I did, but she said I did. I would do the wrong thing, I'd misbehave, I would hit my sister or whatever, and they would say, Jacob, you know, and here I am, little chubby, you know, husky little kid. I mean, exactly the same as now, just shorter. <laughs> and they would say, you need to say you're sorry. And I guess I would get my, squint my eyes, and I would go, Sarak. Sarak. I wouldn't say sorry. I would add a K instead of the Y, right? And that was my way of trying to satisfy the requirement of justice <laughs> without really giving up <laughs> that I was sorry. I would say Sarak, just changing that last letter of the word to avoid actually saying sorry. Man, I was a bad kid, you know? The Lord needs to forgive me for all the things I did to my parents uh, and to my siblings and to everyone else in my life. But sometimes when, when we get caught, we're not really repentant. We're not really sorry. We're sorak. We're just sorak. Like, I, I, this stinks. I have to now pay this person back. Now I have to deal with this. Now I'm not really sorry because real sorrow and real sorry is a little different, real repentance. But listen to what David does in this psalm. He doesn't go sorak. Oh, dang it, I got caught. Sarak. No, he says sorry. He says, uh, I'm broken. I have a broken heart, a broken spirit. He takes responsibility for his actions, and he even accepts the consequences, of which there are consequences. This sin actually leads to really destruction in David's family. It leads to death. It leads to all kinds of things, all kinds of problems. But David doesn't blame anyone else. You know, playing the blame game, because this is what we also do sometimes, is we get caught and we're sorak, and so what we do is we say, well, my actions are justified in some measure because this person did whatever it is. Bethany and I used to lead a college internship for years and years and years and years. Wow, I was hurting from it. But anyways, we led these college students in an internship, and they would always have their fights and sins and different things, you know, going on. And we would tell them all the time, you can't control what other people do to you, but you can control how you respond. And many times, real repentance looks different. Honest repentance that God responds to looks different than this kind of half-hearted repentance based on do we play the blame game, right? Because real repentance, honest repentance, doesn't make excuses. There's a man named John Killinger, and he talks about the manager of a minor league baseball team who was so disgusted one day with his center fielder's performance that he ordered him to the dugout. You're, you're done. Put him on the bench. And he's decided that he was going to go out as a former player himself and play the position himself. Well, then came the first ball into center field. It took a bad hop and it hit the manager right in the mouth. The next one was a high fly ball, which he lost in the glare of the sun until it bounced off his forehead. The third was a hard line drive that he charged with outstretched arms, ready to make the play, but unfortunately flew between his hands and smacked him right in the eye furious he runs back to the dugout 
grabs the center fielder by the uniform and shouted, you idiot, you've got center field so messed up that even I can't do a thing with it. That's called uh, confirmation bias, right? <laughs> Cognitive dissonance. You, you, you're so locked in. Many times we are so locked in that it's someone else's fault that we won't take responsibility, and that's not honest repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to the church in Corinth, and it's almost like a parent to kids, and he says, For the kind of sorrow God wants to, us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Honest repentance leads us away from the actual behavior that got us in here in the beginning, right? There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. In other words, no lasting shame. Like David says, I'll come back to proclaiming your works. I'll come back to teaching people. I'll come back to praising you. Paul says, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. In other words, sorak isn't good enough. The kind of repentance that, that we are to have is an honest admission Man, I was the one that dropped the ball. I was the one that sinned. And that's the kind of repentance that God responds to, where we don't blame, you know, God's going to give justice. If somebody else is half responsible for your sin, then guess what? They're going to have to repent for their sin, and God's going to have to deal with them. But we need to take that full responsibility. God, this is my sin. I've sinned against you. This is what I've done, and I own it so that you can heal me. That kind of sorrow leads to repentance and it leads to restoration, which is the beautiful thing about being a Christian is that you can sin, you are going to sin, but real repentance allows you back into relationship with God, back into the joy of salvation, back into your purpose that God's created you for. The second thought I have for you today is this, that sin robs your joy, but repentance restores it. Sin robs your joy. Have you experienced this before? You know, joy is, is kind of a uh, transient thing because like Chesterton says, happiness depends upon what happens. Joy is a different matter. Happiness, you can say, oh, the Ducks won the football game. I have all these cinnamon crescent rolls. I'm pretty happy, right? Or conversely, we lost the football game. I'm a glutton. <laughs> now I'm unhappy, right? It's connected to, to, to things that are visible. Joy oftentimes, though, is more of a transient sense of well-being and goodness, right, a, that sort of surrounds you that can actually uh, transcend even negative circumstances. So Christians throughout history have dealt with sickness and disease and persecution and all types of things, and yet they can say, I count it all joy, right, because it goes beyond what happens. And joy is something that is much more long-lasting, much more fulfilling than just pure happiness or just simple happiness, but, but sin, it actually poisons our capacity to enjoy the life that God has put us into. Isn't this interesting? Like we all suffer or deal with some forms of addictions, which is really just idolatry in a modern word, where we basically think something will satisfy me other than God, whether that's work, sexual addiction, uh, drug addiction, alcohol, TV addiction, entertainment addiction, friendship addiction, relationship. I mean, there's all kinds of things. You don't even have to call it an addiction, but it's anything you, you want to fill your life with. But what's interesting about that is that that thing robs you of the pure and simple joys of life that God created you to live. Because it's like, if I don't get that, I, I, I'm not good. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the context of Romans 14 is Paul talking about the different foods and different things. But let's, let's narrow in here on this description. Because one of my spiritual mentors, Pastor Iverson, he taught us this. 
that without righteousness, there is no peace, and without peace, there is no joy. When righteousness fails in your life, in other words, when you, open, when you walk into sin, when you're in sin, it first robs you of peace. And without peace, there's no joy. And what we often do is we go, man, I don't feel peace. I don't, I don't have any joy. But what we don't identify is the fact that we've allowed unrighteousness to come in and it robs us of that. That is the, what the kingdom of God is about. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I could preach about this all day, you know, but I'm not going to. But I could. I want you to know that. Righteousness in our culture is not valued. Do you know that we live in a culture that values tolerance of unrighteousness more than righteous behavior? Just think about this. Let me give you one illustration of why we don't value righteousness. Somebody comes out and they say, uh, man, I've I've done all this bad stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, and I want you to accept me for who I am. People are like, yay. Other person says, oh, I'm just like married to my wife and I haven't had an affair this year and, uh, you know, or any years, just in case anybody was wondering. (laughs) You know, I'm raising my kids and I'm like paying my bills on time. People are like, so what? That's what you're supposed to do. But think about that. So we, we actually, like somebody, we, we actually as a culture celebrate screwing up more than we do staying together. Think about this. Like you can see it all over social media. People will celebrate. We're, you know, and, and even the idea of somebody saying, oh, I'm going to put my life back together. We celebrate that, but we don't celebrate keeping your life together. Now, again, we're not trying to be legalistic or whatever, but just think about that. I just wanted to put that thought out there that we've, we kind of don't value righteousness, but righteousness really is the foundation. This is where, yes, we believe in a God of grace, but we also believe he gives us wisdom to avoid situations that require him to come in and rescue. You know, it, it's, it, would you rather like crash your car and have an angel save you or just like keep it between the lines? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But both exist in reality because yes, we're going to sin. Yes, we go off, but righteousness actually matters. And righteousness is the foundation of peace, which is the foundation of joy. And sin robs that from us. But honest repentance brings us back to the joy of salvation and transforms us from the inside out because it restores us back to relationship with God, which is the key piece of joy, right? The key to joy is a right relationship with God the intimacy with God, which David describes in Psalm 51. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, bring me back into relationship with you so I can get back to being who you've called me to be. Third thought, number three, you can't earn forgiveness. You can only receive it by faith. I love it in verse 16 where David says, you don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. This is what we believe, don't we? Well, I've, I've screwed up. I've sinned, so I have to pay, pay it back. I have to pay it back to God. I have to, now I have to make sure I never miss Sunday for 52 straight weeks, and that will, will satisfy it. And that's saying I'll give a sacrifice. David says, that's not what you want. He says, you don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Charles Spurgeon recounted this story. He said a great artist some short time ago had painted a part of a neighborhood of a city in which he lived. And he wanted, for historic purposes, to include in his picture the characters that were well known in the town, all the town folk. And a crossing sweeper, unkempt, ragged, filthy, was known to everybody. And there was a suitable place for him in the picture. It's kind of like the town hobo, right? The dirty guy. They wanted to, to, he's part of our town. Let's get him in here. The artist said to this ragged and rugged individual, I will pay you well if you will come down to my studio and let me take your likeness. 
Well, he came round in the morning, but he was soon sent about his business, for he had washed his face, combed his hair, and donned a respectable suit of clothes. He was needed as a beggar and was not invited in any other capacity. Even so, the gospel will receive you into its halls if you come as a sinner, not otherwise. Wait not for reformation, but come at once for salvation. God justifies the ungodly, and that takes you up where you now are. It meets you in your worst estate. The artist didn't need this guy to make himself better. He needed him to be real so he could actually create the picture. And what Spurgeon is saying here is God wants you to come in reality to him with your need and with your brokenness and with your real sin on display so he can actually deal with you as you are. <clears throat> God doesn't reject that broken and that contrite heart. We're not made right with God because of our own efforts. You can't clean yourself up before you come to him. How many times do we do that? Well, I need to make sure I don't sin on Saturday night before church on Sunday. As if you like tricked the Holy Spirit. As if there was some invisible barrier. You know, I better be careful. I better not cuss on Sunday, you know. I better not cuss around the pastor. I bet, you know, I may better make sure I, I clean it up. Well, you, you can't. I mean, listen to what Jesus said. I read this last week as well, that healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. We can't earn our way, pay our way back, sacrifice our way, worship our way, <clears throat> duty our way, discipline our way to God and to salvation. He gives us the gift of grace as a free gift, and we have to receive it, but we have to come as we are and then let God work his transformation in our lives. As we finish up today, I want us to look at verse 10 once more, where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. You know, the end result of this is when, with honest repentance, we bring repentance to God in a real way, coming as we are, admitting, taking the, taking the, the responsibility for our actions, not blaming, is that we get to participate in this miraculous thing, which is that God, who is the only one that can do this, can actually create in us a new heart. Because the heart as we learn in the scriptures, is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it, right? And the, the, out of the heart flow the issues of life. And what we find as human beings is that though we want to do what's right, we don't. Though we know what to do is right, we still don't. And why is that? It's because our heart is corrupted. But what David says that comes out of real repentance is the work of God to create in us a new heart and to renew that loyal spirit within us. The prophet Ezekiel said, I will give you a new heart. Speaking for the Lord, I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. How many of you want that? I do. And I will put my spirit in you so you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Real repentance is actually what leads to righteousness because real repentance, God does a transformation and a work in our heart and gives us the capacity to follow, to obey, the capacity to, 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 to actually desire righteousness because we have a brand new heart. That's the promise of the gospel that comes from a prayer of honest repentance. You know, this morning, uh, how appropriate to talk about repentance. All of us need to repent. And the first act of repentance that we do is to put our trust and hope in Christ. And so right now in this moment, we do this every week. I just want to give us an opportunity to, in faith, place our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. If that's you today and you want to make this decision, and we're all going to pray this together, but I would just ask that you pray 
this prayer with me, and then we'll give you an opportunity to take a next step. But if that's you today, just pray this prayer with me, and let's all pray it together. Dear Jesus, I repent of my sin. I take responsibility for my actions. And I know I can't save myself. I can't earn my way to you. There's nothing I can do to clean myself or wash away my sin. But I thank you that you gave your life for me at the cross. You demonstrated mercy and grace and paid for my sin. I put my trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Give me the grace to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.